You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Taking oaths and swearing vows had become so common and given for trite, mundane, conversational kind of things that the whole process and the whole purpose for them had become abused. The whole purpose was to confirm the truth and now nobody believed anybody else because they were abusing that very process. And so Christ said to his disciples in that context, stop making the oaths. Pastor Tom's message today gives clarity to oath-taking in Bible times. Think of today's court of law. You swear that everything you say is true. It was the same back then. Vows were a way of testifying to the truth. God was even used in these kinds of exchanges as a way to have accountability in what they said. Well, the Jewish people of the day lost the real reason for doing this. Promising started to be an oh well kind of thing. James tells us to take no part in such a nonchalant frame of mind concerning this. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5 as he continues his message, being a person of integrity amidst a world of liars. Jesus says that the Jews were typically taught throughout their history not to make false vows, but to fulfill or pay their vows to the Lord. Jesus is not really quoting the Old Testament exactly here, but the general teaching. The wording is similar to what the Mosaic law would actually teach. Actually, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, had quite a bit to say about oath-taking, which we need to try to understand before we get to understanding James and Jesus. So I want you to turn back, even from here, go back to Leviticus chapter 19. We'll look into the law of Moses. Leviticus 19, verse 12. And again, just one verse. It's in a series of commands. Leviticus 19, 12. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Don't forget who he is and what his name is. So the Old Testament law clearly disallowed false vows because to use God's name in a false vow was to dishonor his name. That also means that oaths and vows were related to the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. Do you remember what the third commandment was? You shall not what? Take the name of the Lord thy God in what? Vain. Don't take it in an empty, worthless, hollow kind of way. God's name is special because God is special. And to violate an oath made in God's name then was a a way of using his name in an empty and worthless way and breaking the third commandment. I want you to turn forward one book to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. You understand that the law of the law of God in the Old Testament regulated every area of Israeli life. It was not just a religious law. It was a law that covered all of the national, the national needs. And in Numbers 30 and verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, lest he say, well, I'll do part of it, all of it. Whatever you vow to God and whatever you make as an oath to men, do all of it. That was important, all of it. Part of it, after a while, you said, well, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoken that. Too bad, you did. Now you got to pay for all of it. Remember Jephthah and his foolish vow? Whatever comes out first to me, I'm going to sacrifice, and then he sees his daughter. So you have to do all of it. Now turn to Deuteronomy, one more book, Deuteronomy 23. 
just so you can see where this is highlighted in the law of God. Deuteronomy 23, 21. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Wow. So not only don't do, don't pay part of it, you got to do all of it, but don't even delay. You said you're going to do it. Don't delay. We used to tell our kids, slow obedience is disobedience. Slow obedience is disobedience. You know, I'll get around to it. No, you're disobeying. Do it. Do it now. See? So here's the law of God. You don't have to make a vow. There's no command there, at least there, to make a vow. You don't have to. But if you do, you better pay. And you better pay it quickly. And you better pay it all. In addition to this, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. Psalm 50 and verse 14 adds this. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Think about that. He's the Most High. Think about who you spoke to and remember what he can do to you. And remember that you better pay your vows. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 4 adds this. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Pretty clear, right? So this was taught over and over again in the Old Testament. The Old Testament permitted the swearing of oaths, permitted the swearing of vows, as long as they were not irreverent, as long as they were not false, as long as they were not neglected, right? Now, before we move on, let's define exactly what an oath is and what a vow is. A vow or an oath was a solemn and a binding promise. A solemn and a binding promise either to do something for somebody else or to confirm that what one was saying was true. I vow to do this, or I I swear this is true. The words that are coming out of my mouth is, is true. It was stronger than a promise because it was a sworn testimony. Now, the distinction between oaths and vows was generally not all that sharp. In Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, it uses them together. It says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. We read that. He has to do everything out of his mouth. But generally speaking, a vow was made to God. It had a religious sense to it. You make your vow to God. It was a solemn promise to God. And an oath was made to people, a promise that you'd make to people. That wasn't always held up, but generally speaking, that was true. For example, vows could be made to dedicate some action to God. In Genesis chapter 28, even before the law of Moses was given, Jacob made a vow to God. If God, you'll do this and this and this for me, then you will be my God and this place will be sacred. And he makes a vow to God. Vows could uh, dedicate an offering, such as in Leviticus 27. You'd vow and you'd dedicate something in an offering to God. Or it could dedicate uh, oneself to abstain from something, such as in Psalm 132, 2 to 5. David had all these comforts. He said, I won't keep any of these comforts. I vow to not have any of these comforts, Lord, if you will do such and such, or until he did such and such. So you'd make the vow to God, and you're to pay that vow. Oaths were often used in legal settings and in legal procedures. Moses's law actually called for oath-taking when the truth in a case was very difficult to ascertain. For example, there's a woman who's suspected of committing adultery. How are you supposed to deal with this? It's a he said, she said kind of situation. Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 and following says that she, because of the seriousness of the accusation, she was to take an oath and then she was to testify. She was to be put under oath solemnly so that if 
anything she said was found out not to be true, then she could be punished for that. So she was to be put under an oath. When a community unknowingly shielded a criminal, a criminal ran from one location and came within the walls of a city and the inhabitants were their typical you know, hospitable selves and they invited this criminal in and then the people pursuing that came to the city and said, what are you doing protecting this criminal in your walls? And they would say, we didn't know, we didn't know it was a criminal. They were to swear an oath that they did not know he was a criminal. And so oaths were taking truth-telling to another degree. You have, we have to have this in society, otherwise the rest of us cannot be assured that what you're saying is true. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, teaches that even if the oath or vow was spoken thoughtlessly, it was still binding. Even if it was spoken thoughtlessly, it was still binding. Wow. In fact, in Genesis chapter 50, this is interesting, verses 25 and 26, some oaths could be binding on future generations. Imagine that. You vow, you know, and and the future generations, the kids have to fulfill the vow. Um, And that happens when Joseph made his sons swear that they would bring his bones back to the promised land and bury him there, not in Egypt. And so they did. They felt they were still under that oath that their father swore. That's fascinating. Now, typically oaths or vows had three components to them. You can write this down. The first component is the promise itself. That's what you might think of. You make a vow, that's the promise. Someone or something... Someone was pledging to do something for someone or something that they were going to do. That's the promise. They were guaranteeing that something was true or they were guaranteeing that they would do something. So that's the promise itself. Second was the using of someone or something greater than themselves as a witness to the oath, such as appealing to God to bear witness, I am making this oath in the presence of God and may he do something to me if I do not fulfill this. That's what gave it that solemn and serious component. This wasn't just, you know, you walking into the house and say, oh, yeah, I'll fix that. And you you said you'll do it, but is that really all that solemn? This was, no, I'm making this, knowing that I'm in the presence of God and I'm calling him to listen and bear witness and deal with me if it needs to be dealt with that I would keep my word here. That's the second component. By the way, it says in Hebrews 6.16, for men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them, an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. They swear by someone greater, it ends the dispute. That's Hebrews 6.16. The third component was the recognition that if the vow or the oath was broken, it would be bad for the person making the vow. There'd be negative consequences. For example, when God's name was invoked in the oath, God would witness the truth of what the person said, and then God would be called upon to fight against the lie. This third component is seen in a reoccurring phrase in the Bible that goes something like this, and you'll find it all over the Bible. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if I do not fulfill such and such. Have you read that before? Ruth told Naomi in Ruth 1.16, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried, thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Wow, that's some serious stuff from a young lady, right? Second Samuel 3.35, David said the same thing, promising not to eat bread, but to mourn properly for the death of Abner. Now, along with those three components, sometimes oaths were accompanied by certain gestures to show, again, how serious they were. Like what? Like raising the right hand, right? I solemnly swear. Raising the right hand toward heaven. 
Revelation chapter 10 and verse 5. I think it's an angel there swearing towards God that there will not be a delay. Psalm 106 and verse 26. Again, the right hand is raised. Here's a weird one. Abraham's servant. Do you remember the little gesture he did? It's kind of a little weird here. Put his hand underneath Abraham's thigh and then swore his oath that way. Very intimate thing, putting the hand there and swearing on the most intimate terms that that is what you promised to do, you see. So that was part of their culture. I hope we don't pick that practice up personally. I'm not into that. <laughs> As you can see, vows and oaths were an integral part of Jewish life. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 16, it even shows the popularity of vows with non-Hebrew people. We know that vows were common in many ancient Near Eastern cultures, such as the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Hittites, and the Phoenicians. People from these lands would swear by their gods in recognition of that God's power, that God's jurisdiction, and that God's ability to punish if necessary. But Israelites were not allowed to swear by the names of other gods, only Yahweh, only their redeeming God. That is what the Old Testament taught the Jews. Unfortunately, and here's where we pick up to James and Jesus, by the time of Jesus, taking oaths and swearing vows had become so common and given for trite, mundane, conversational kind of things that the whole process and the whole purpose for them had become abused. The whole purpose was to confirm the truth, and now nobody believed anybody else because they were abusing that very process. And so Christ said to his disciples in that context, stop making the oaths. And James says, make no more of these oaths. This is worthless. Now, I know that sounds like it's a contradiction with the rest of Scripture, but the context, I think, helps us out. The Old Testament says you can make oaths, just not false one. Jesus says make no oaths at all. James echoes that, but there is a, there's a context to that. Now, I should point out that some people believe that Jesus was purposely doing away with an Old Testament standard and erecting a higher and new standard under the new covenant, and that he was ending all oath-taking of every kind, period. They say that oath-taking was merely an accommodation to man's sinful heart but from the beginning, it wasn't needed. Simple truth-telling was what was expected. And so a truly righteous man would never be put under oath. He would just give his word and speak the truth. By the way, this is what certain uh, Christian groups throughout church history have believed and practiced. They banned all oath-taking. They won't take oaths to their country or in marriage or anything like that. Groups such as the Waldensians, the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, the Quakers... They have banned all oath-taking, even in legal settings. This view assumes that oaths are bad in and of themselves and that oaths are always a sin. And the rest of Scripture clearly says that they're not. In fact, Jesus allowed himself to be placed under oath at his trial before the Sanhedrin. The high priest spoke to him and said, I adjure you, I put you under oath, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he said, I am. And he let himself be put under oath in Matthew 26, 64. Not only that, well, I should say not only the high priest, but this is going to be weird also. A demon, yes, you heard that right. A demon put Christ under oath in Mark chapter 5, verse 7. That's the language that actually is used there begging Christ under oath 
not to put them into the place of torment. And Jesus accepted that, and he sent the demons into the swine, and they rushed off the cliff and died. Also, taking an oath cannot be sin. It cannot be morally wrong, since in the Old Testament, it actually was commanded and required as part of the law in certain situations. Other places, it was voluntary. Certain situations, it was required. Legal proceedings such as Numbers 5, verses 19 and following, as we saw before. Also in the New Testament, no one less than the Apostle Paul, according to Acts chapter 18 and verse 18, took a vow. This is under the New Covenant. And that was not considered wrong. It was not written as if he had made a mistake. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul would often call God as his witness when he was writing something in Scripture that was solemn and important, which is a mild form of an oath. He said, as God is my witness, Romans chapter 1, verse 9, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, or other places. So if oath-taking was wrong, why does Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 16 describe swearing by the God of truth as good? If oath-taking were wrong, why does in Revelation 10, 6, a good angel, that is an angel that has not fallen, why does he swear and take an oath? But the clincher that kind of eliminates this view is that God himself takes oaths. And if you know your Bible, you knew that's where I was heading. In Isaiah 45 and verse 23, it says, God has sworn. Now, who's God going to swear by? Himself, because there's no one greater than him, right? God has sworn by himself that all will give allegiance to him. That's awesome, isn't it? Luke 173 says that God swore an oath to Abraham. Called that the Abrahamic covenant. In Acts 2 and verse 30, it says God swore an oath to David. What do we call that? The Davidic covenant. And also Hebrews chapter 7, verse 21. So taking an oath clearly is not wrong. Well, then why did Jesus and James tell Christians not to do it? Because of the abuse of oath-taking by men who frankly lacked integrity. Oaths had become so commonplace and so unreliable, they had virtually no meaning. They would use these oaths in everyday conversation. They would swear by the altar, swear by the lambs, swear by the rabbis, swear by the prophets, by the law, by the temple, by the dishes in the temple, by the temple itself, by the gold in the temple. The people became so frivolous in oath-taking, doing it any time, trying to reassure one another that what they were saying was true, then not fulfilling them, that Christ said, that all has to end. So this is a call to end all oath-taking in casual conversation not legal or formal settings where it is appropriate. Just went to a wedding and there were vows said at a wedding. I wasn't going to marry them unless they said a vow. <laughs> you know, after they said the vow comes the pronouncement. I now pronounce you, you know. So the vow is appropriate in that situation. By the way, we ought to remember how serious that was, men, right? You made a vow before God to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Has she been displeasing to you? Too bad. doesn't matter. You vowed to love her anyways, right? You remember your words to God, Right? No frivolous vow-making. And by the way, chapter 23 of Matthew documents the trickery that went on in this vow-taking. Woe to you, blind guides, Jesus said, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, ah, he's obligated. You fools and blind guides, what is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And then he goes on with other examples. Kind of like that game we used to play, you know, when we were playing as kids. And we tell someone, oh, I, s I swear I'll do it, right? And behind, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, 
I had my fingers crossed, not binding. Really, that's what they were doing. Oh, I only swore by the altar, not the sacrifice on the altar. See, it doesn't count. You should have known better. Routine of oath-taking was really sanctioned lie-making. And Jesus and James, in their integrity, said, that must stop. That's the negative. Now, the positive side. Look at the second half. Go back to James and look at the second half of that verse, the positive side. I think here's where we can really exhort ourselves, encourage ourselves with integrity. But your yes is to be yes. Jesus said, let your yes be yes. And your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. James doesn't mean repeat the answer. If I say yes, yes, then it's a yes. That's not what he meant. Or if I say no, no, then it's a no. But if I just say one no, it's not a no. That's not what that means. Some people read that wrong. What it means is when you say no, it should just mean no. And when you say yes, it should mean yes. And you don't need to put anything beyond that. If you're a man or woman of integrity, someone asks you to do something, you say you'll do it, you say yes, that's it. You don't need to say, no, honest, swear, I swear. By my grandmother's grave. Where's your grandmother's grave? I don't know, I just, you know. <laughs> Sounded good. Someone looks you in the eye, you look them in the eye, and you say, I'll do that, yes. Is that true? No, that's not true. That's it. They look at you skeptically. You don't have to add anything because your word will be proven to be true. Do the investigation. It's fine. Truth will come out eventually. That's all that we need. So what does this mean? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. What it says to me is, I have to control this mouth. This goes back to the mouth, doesn't it? If I don't want to say something, don't say something. If you're not sure about something, say, I'm not sure, but... At least say that. Say, I don't really know. I think it's this. Don't say, oh, definitely. You don't know, right? People need to be able to trust what comes out of your mouth. You really, we all ought to have a lot more care about what we can guarantee. I've stuck foot in mouth, huge like. I mean, like, you know, the big yard boots that I use kind stuck in my mouth. I mean, where I've assured something is true and it's not true. And I really thought it was true. That... You learn from embarrassment sometimes, right? Your face gets all red, and you just, oops. And now how are you going to make that up? Because you've lost a little bit of credibility, right? God wants us to have integrity. Psalm 15, 1. Oh, Lord, who may abide in your tent? The tabernacle. Who can go in there? Who may abide in your tent? Who gets to go into your place, your house? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity. Now, Satan's all about lies, so you know God hates lying. One of the pieces of armor, the armor of God, is to put on the belt of truth, right? It kind of holds up everything else so your pants don't fall down, you know? Or whatever they were wearing doesn't get unloosed. You know, it's important to tie everything else together. You have to have truth. If you don't, Satan will find a way into your life because you're a hypocrite, you see? Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. It's always interesting that people who are liars and are public liars get caught in their lies and then get destroyed in their lies. It's just a matter of what? 
time, right? God brings the judgment upon them through their lying. They have a habit of lying and you're angry at them and you think they're getting away with lying, just give it some time. It'll eventually catch up with them. Why did I say that? Yeesh. My dad always placed a very high importance on doing what I said I would do. A promise is a promise. Not so with the Jewish people. They started taking a very lax view on the purpose of vows. It eventually ended up being pointless because they took an oath with most every little thing they said, as we learned from Pastor Tom today. The book of James warns us to have no part in these empty words. They don't mean anything. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Words, you know, what we say and don't say, what we mean and don't mean. Long ago, they carried much more weight than today, I'm afraid. Do people trust what you say to them? Or do you have a reputation where you find yourself swearing it's true? Listen next time. Pastor Tom will talk about all this and more in the context of what Jesus had to say about promises, so don't miss it. To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.